athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think, I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Once again, thank you for joining me on another edition of Box to Row. I am your host, Donald Ware, August 11th, 1973, the birth of hip-hop at 1520 Sedgwick Avenue. Of course, that up in the Bronx, New York City, and now 50 years later, we celebrate hip-hop and all of its greatness. And of course, from week to week, we'll play that song by um, Boogie Down Productions, KRS-One on the uh, on the microphone my philosophy love that particular song and over the course of the years here on box to roll almost 18 as a matter of fact august the 20th will be 18 years on the air for box to roll 18 years on the air for box to roll and we've had any number of hip-hop artists to come on this program whether it's been jada kiss or scarface or e or Cool G Rap, or T.I., or Ludacris, or Ice Cube, or Snoop Dogg. I mean, so many different rappers have come on the program over the many, many years that we've been on the air. It's kind of hard to kind of keep up uh, with all of them, but that is just to name a few. And by the way, we've been talking about this over the course of the last couple of years, our project Radio Boss, you can go to radio-boss.com, radio-boss.com to check out any of those conversations that we've had over the years with any, not only the hip-hop artists, but any number of guests that we've had. But uh, we celebrate the 50 years of hip-hop here on the air. I'm a huge, been a huge hip-hop fan going back to memorizing Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight. I think I had it memorized either by 1981 or 1982. I believe it was by 1981. I was seven years old. Had the long version memorized. So that was my first introduction to hip-hop. And then, you you know, my I think the next my next introduction was 1982's um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, The Message. I remember they used to play that on the radio. That was my next introduction, and then it went on from there from songs, uh, groups and songs, you know, like Run DMC, UB Illinois, Walk This Way with Aerosmith, um, to Curtis Blow's Basketball, and, of course, this song, If I Ruled the World, and then it just kind of went on from there uh, from there on, really. Uh, so huge, huge hip-hop fan. And, uh, again, at uh, radio-boss.com, 
Uh, you can listen to any number of the conversations that we've had with hip hop artists as we too celebrate 50 years of hip hop. So it's been sort of a rough couple of weeks for people here in Raleigh and those that listen to us on buzz sports radio each week. So we've lost really a couple of iconic people. Number one. And again, this is more so for those that live in Raleigh. Kendall Harris was part of um, the Raleigh. Well, the YMCA of the triangle was instrumental in, in programs such as black achievers that is now called Y achievers. And all four of my children have come through that program to any number of different things. He was all about children and specifically children of color and even more specifically black children and excelling. Um, so he passed away, uh, was on July 24th, I believe in his funeral was, uh, July the 31st. And then also here in Raleigh, but in a broader scope, uh, when it relates to, or as it relates to HBCU sports, Al Carter, the former athletics director, um, at Shaw at Shaw university, um, played his collegiate basketball at North Carolina. A&T was a really good basketball player in the early seventies. And it was also not only um, at Shaw, he was at Shaw for over 40 years as a, as a head coach, as an assistant coach for men's and women's basketball. He was the athletics director uh, up until maybe a couple of years ago, beginning, I believe in 1999 under the latter part of the nineties, he passed away um, on Wednesday and um, I knew he had been, knew he had been sick actually. And uh, talked with him uh, and, um, and uh, his wife, Mrs. Carter, maybe back in May, um, when I found when I found out that he, he was, you know, he had cancer and um, uh, talked with both of them for for a little while. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know, you know, if there would I mean, and this is not hyperbole. I don't even know if there would actually be a box to row. OK, or where I may even be if it wasn't for. Mr. Carter, and that's from a personal standpoint for me, hired me as an assistant athletics director at Shaw uh, back in 2002. I was there for uh, for three years in, in, in athletic administration and then went on in 2005, of course, um, to start Box to Row. And I guess it's, you know, it's, it's you know, in, in August, you know, passing away again just a couple of days ago. And, you know, Box to Row started August the 20th of 2005. But in a broad, that's just from a personal standpoint, but from in a broader sense i mean you look at shaw if any, anybody that's been to shaw i mean shaw's a very small school it's got a, a lot of history right like there's tremendous amount of history at shaw university it's the the oldest hbcu in the south um it had the first medical school amongst hbcus it had uh one of the first hbcus uh well not even hbcus but colleges in the country really that housed uh women's uh, uh, had women's dormitories. Um, I mean, SNCC, the Student non- Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, very instrumental in the civil rights movement, was founded uh, at Shaw University in 1960. So a lot of history as it relates to Shaw. But Shaw had had, had some really some financial uh, issues. It shut its football program down, I think, in 19 after the 1978 season. Um a lot of Shaw alum put their houses up on the line, uh, on the line, their mortgages, et cetera, in the early 80s to to save Shaw. 
uh, University was in great financial trouble. And by the way, those that live in Raleigh know Dr. George Debnam or remember Dr. George, George Debnam, who was very instrumental. Um, and when you talk about Shaw, he's known as Mr. Shaw University. He had passed away back in February uh, of this year as well. But that athletics program wasn't great before Al Carter took that program on, uh, took it over. I think the latter part of the 90s. The football program came in as a or was reinstituted as a club program in 2002, went into the CIAA in 2003. And by 2004, Shaw was CIAA champions. Then Shaw repeated as CIAA champions in 2007, 2008, and then 2010 as well. Now, we're talking about a really, really small school. And I always, you know, we had Lynn Thompson on the program, the former athletics director at Bethune-Cookman, maybe, what, a couple of two, three years ago. And I always equate Bethune-Cookman, who's obviously at the, the well, the SWAC now, but at the Division One level, and I even told him this, to a Shaw University. Small school, a lot of history, not a lot of resources, but does the most with what it has. And that is what Shaw University is, okay? And that's what uh, Al Carter was able to do for that athletics program. So you talk about the rejuvenation of the football program, winning multiple CIAA championships. Let's talk about, you know, Joel Hopkins coming on as the basketball coach. At, uh, you remember, a lot are going to remember, know the name Tracy McGrady. Well, Tracy McGrady played for Joel Hopkins, okay, at, I uh, can't think of the name, but anyway, the school in, in Durham. Um, then he came over to Shaw, found another NBA player that went on to play in the NBA by the name of Ronald Flip Murray. Um, so, and, and Shaw won a CIAA championship in 2002, which was like the first time Shaw had won a, a CIAA championship in basketball in so many years. Matter of fact, in two, and when Shaw won the football championship, the CIAA championship in 04, it had been since 1947 since Shaw had won a CIAA championship when I think that year was named HBCU national champ. So to be able to do that and then ultimately build the athletics program to the point, Jock Curtis as the head coach, where the women's program won the Division II National Championship in 2012. Now, that's hard, okay? It's hard enough to win a conference championship, extra hard to win a, a, a national championship, particularly if you're a smaller school like Shaw University. But because of a lot of what, Al Carter was able to put in place. Shaw was able to win that national championship. Sunday Inaton is the, the men's and women's tennis coach. Well, guess what? Shaw tennis was extraordinary, especially a couple of years when it, when it went all the way to the elite eight. And I believe the final four, and I can't remember whether it was the men's or women's tennis program, you know, and then not only that, okay, you talk about athletics, but there was a couple of times that he was asked to come on the university level. So he, uh, you know, um, his duties as athletics director were put on hold temporarily where an interim athletics director, Marcus Clark, who used to be the compliance director at Shaw's now uh, in upper management with the CIAA office on a couple of occasions uh, became the athletics director. Whereas Al Carter was on the administrative level of the university and more specifically in enrollment 
to get Shaw's numbers up in terms of enrollment and was successful at that a couple of times. <clears throat> so you talk about someone that was around the university for in excess of 40 years who meant a lot to that university, meant a lot to the CIAA, meant a lot to a lot of people and passed away again. Al Carter passing away, um, the former athletics director, Shaw passing away, basketball coach, et cetera, um, on Wednesday. So you've got it locked to box to row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Today on the program, we're going to talk with Benedict, head football coach, Chenis Berry, today on the program. We're also going to talk with Bethune Cookman, new head football coach, Raymond Woody Jr. Raymond Woody Jr. going to join us today here on the program as well. The HBCU Football Daily Podcast is in full effect. You can watch the HBCU Football Daily Podcast on the Box to Row YouTube channel, and you can also listen on the BoxToRow.com website as well as iHeartMedia.com. Let's step aside, take a break, come back. We'll be joined by Chenis Berry, the head football coach at Benedict. The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. All Weaver Street Markets. Harris Teeter. Food Lion. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, and Barica Soul. On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Those that don't know who Antoine Bethea is, 2006 NFL Draft, six-round draft pick by the Indianapolis Colts, Tony Dungy. He became... One of the starters at the safety position from day one. Every game he played in, he started. You know, I remember Antoine when he was at Howard, um, and, and he and I were talking, and I, I reminded him, hey, you know your first, because he's done a, a bunch of stuff, but I said, hey, you know your first national radio interview was on Box to Row two weeks prior to the NFL draft. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Joey Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. here on Box to Row. We're joined by a gentleman in his third season as the head football coach at Benedict. Benedict winning the SIAC championship on last season, also being named HBCU Division II Coaches National Champions, and they start the season that 
wait. Benedict going to open the season on Saturday, September 2nd, hosting Shaw. Chennis Berry, again, in his third season as the head football coach of the Tigers, joins us here on Box to Row. What's going on, Coach Berry? Hey, how you doing today, man? Thanks for having me. And uh, everything's going well, man. We're just in the middle of training camp, uh, bumming and grinding every day, trying to get 1% better. Man, I'm going to tell you what, like, I was do oh that's that's what it was. I was doing an SIAC preview uh earlier this uh earlier last week. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, and talking about Benedict, and I'm like, yeah, Chinnis Berry in his second year. You didn't you made me forget about that this first of all was your third season, and that that first season you had a which was a really good season, five and five in 2021, because the team previously in 2019 was coming off a one and nine season. Your season was so good last year. You made me forget about the season uh, that you that you guys went five and five. But what a, a a a ways you have brought this Benedict program to this point. Yeah, I'm grateful, man. I'm very very blessed and fortunate to have support from our administration. I have a wonderful coaching staff that are bought into the process. And it also helps to have some really good student athletes that, you know, not only trying to win on the field, but winning off the field as well. So, you know, we're building the program the right way. I don't, I don't want to, I don't strive to just have a good football team. Uh, those are teams that win year in and year out. I want to build a good football program right here in Columbia, South Carolina. I think we're, we're headed in the right direction. Can I take you back to last year? What, what the season meant to you, an 11 and one finish for your team? Well, what a great year. I mean, you know, those type of years are hard to come by. I mean, this is year 29 that I've been coaching college football. So I've been in HBCU ball since 1991 as a player. So I played it from 1991 to 1994 at Savannah State, and I've been coaching since 1995 and never had a year like that. I mean, that's a, those years don't happen all the time. And what a great year. Players were bought in, coaches were bought in, the community was bought in, and the whole entire administration. So, you know, that was an awesome year. Our, our players earned every bit of it. You know, nobody gave us anything, and they came out week in and week out and tried to go 1-0. and And that's been our philosophy since I've been here. We don't look at the end goal. All right, we try to focus on being the best we can be every day and going 1-0. and And that goes back to the book that we're reading as a football team right now. It's talking about falling in love with the process of becoming great. The surrendered outcome. And let's fall in love with the process. And that book is called Chop Wood, Carry Water. And our players and our coaches have really, really gotten a lot of, out of that book. Yeah, and, and you that's always been your philosophy. You, you say that basically every week. We want to be 1-0 and the next week. And, I mean, for, for 11 straight weeks, that was, in fact, um, the case uh, for your team. Um, what, did you, what did you learn going to that, that uh, playoff game, uh, the Division II, the, the, I guess, in essence, the second round, because you had a first-round bye? What did you learn um, about your program in terms of trying to take that next step uh, in terms of upper echelon consistently at the D2 level? And, and like you said before, man, we had a great year, but the last time we played, the last thing I remember was we took a loss. So that's been the motivating factor the whole entire offseason. It was a big learning lesson for myself as the head football coach, our staff, all right, as well as our players, you know, we have a long way to go, all right? We, we had a great year, but when we got into the playoffs, uh, we, we understand that it's going to come down to the trenches, man. And, and, you know, we really didn't do very well. We didn't win the battle of the trenches, and that's with the O-line and D-line. And Wingate did a great job up front versus us, and we took an L. You know, we don't hide from it. We took an L. They did a very good job. 
Uh, but we weren't ready to play. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, that's my job as head football coach to go out and recruit the right student athletes to take our program to the next level. And, you know, my philosophy around here, man, we got to recruit them. All right. Then we have to retain them. Then we have to develop them because we're not going to get the finished product. And then we have to graduate them. So, you know, I think that we brought in the right fit of student athletes into our program to help take our program to the next level. Eric Phoenix is is gone from the program. Have you uh, what's the quarterback battle like? Tell us about those quarterbacks. And if you had a starter, if you had to name a starter today, have you decided who may be that starting quarterback? Well, we have not named a starter as, as of today. We're 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 in our second week of practice and guys are really, really growing. And yeah, so if we really look at our last season, we played two quarterbacks the whole season. We played Eric Phoenix as well as John Lampley. Um, and both of those guys did a really, really good job. And the beauty of having two, that when when one wasn't hot or something of that nature, we were able to put the other guy in to get us back going. And then Eric Phoenix ended up taking off the last, you know, three or four games per se. Uh, but but ultimately, we brought in some young men uh, that are really, really special. All right. And I have to first start with a young man that we already have right here on campus, Zay Foster. Zay Foster been here for a couple of years. I mean, he was the guy that actually in 2021, when he was a true freshman, that came in um, uh, when Eric Phoenix went out after those first four games. And he took us down to Miles College for their homecoming and kind of found a way to get a victory down there in Birmingham, Alabama. So he's still in the program. He's going into year three. But we signed a really, really talented transfer quarterback. Uh, he, he was the starter for the last two years at Shorter University in, in Georgia. And that's, you know, he's in the conference in the Gulf South Conference. And, and that conference is known in Division II as the SEC of Division II football. That's in the same conference as Valdosta State, West Georgia, West Florida, teams of that nature. And he was a two-year starter. He threw 16 touchdowns and two interceptions last year. So he's he's seen the speed of the game. And he's really, really having an exceptional camp. I mean, he has arm talent which I think is very, very important. But he's also a dual threat quarterback, and he's played a lot of football. So we're excited about him. We also signed a transfer quarterback, and he's a grad transfer from Lehigh. Uh, he's actually from Charlotte, North Carolina, but he played at Lehigh, and uh, his name is Nigel Somerville. He's doing some really, really good things in training camp. And we have a really, really good freshman that we signed. Man. He's, his name is Bryce Bowens from Carver High School in Atlanta. He's a true dual threat quarterback. He's, he, he, he can really make every throw. He can run. So we're super excited about that room. We also signed a, a transfer from out in California at Monterey Peninsula named Josh. Josh is doing some good things as well. And then we also had another young man on campus that's named Zay Rice. So we got six quarterbacks really getting it in. And, uh, you know, it's kind of early in camp. But we'll know in another week or two who our guy will be. But some guys have really been out there moving our offense. Like I tell them, you don't have to be a hero in this offense. There's enough players around you. All you got to do is manage the offense and be the point guard of the offense. No doubt, Chennis Berry in his third season as the head football coach at Benedict joins us here on the program. Um, Luper Danilis, man, that guy is really, really good. I mean, you look at the numbers he he put up, I think, what, 14, 14 and a half sacks, 21 tackles for loss. I mean, some absolutely phenomenal numbers he returns for you speak to him now is he a, is he an outside guy is he an interior or does he play the in position and just talk about you know how much more you're expecting from him him this season luber Danellis, let me tell you something what a what an amazing person first and foremost and what an amazing football player so the, the teams that we play gonna have to find him because he plays everywhere 
All right, he'll play the three, he'll play the shade, he'll play the five, he'll play the seven. All right, so they got to figure out where he's going to be, but he's a ball player. He's a really good football player. He plays with amazing uh, effort. Uh, he's a he's a he's a great student. I'm a, I don't think he's made a B since he's been at Benedict. Uh, he's made all A's. I mean, just a a phenomenal young man. But he's a probably a uh, I mean, he's an amazing football player. Weight room, he's amazing in the weight room. He's just an overall good football player. But we have some other guys up front on that defensive line that. And, uh, you know, we try to build it from the from the trenches, man, O-line, D-line. And then, obviously, once we get those positions right, we go to the quarterback position. So we have another young man that that I'm looking for double-digit sack numbers. His name is J.B., Jaden Broad, man. He's from he's from Charleston, South Carolina. He's a preseason all-conference guy, and he can really, really rush the passer. But not only can he do that, he can, he can defend the run, too. And then we have another preseason all-conference guy, Aaron Miller. That there's another amazing defensive lineman. So I would say the strength of our defense is our defensive line, and they do a good job of getting out to people. Shannon Berry, the head football coach at Benedict, joining us here on the program. How what's the potential of this team? I look at, you know, all the all, all the guys you met, 70 guys coming back. Number one, a lot of these guys are pre, are all conference preseason guys. Your your offensive line looks solid. You mentioned your defensive line, a couple of first team or second team guys preseason uh, on the defensive line as well. Um, you know, what's the potential of this, as you see it, of this football team? You know, our team is going to come down to discipline and leadership. That's what it's going to come down to. There's no shortage of talent. Uh, like I say, our coaching staff have went out and got some guys, you know, to add to the foundation that's already been set in this program. You know, it's going to come down to discipline. It's going to come down to our leadership and making sure that guys are doing the right thing on and off the field. And, uh, you know, obviously you're going to have to have some favor. You got to stay healthy and things of that nature. But I think we got a chance to have a really, really good football team again. I mean, I'm not going to get it twisted. I mean, I, I like this football team. And, you know, everybody talks about offense and defense. And obviously, that you have to have that to win ball games. But we really, really upgraded our special teams unit. And here at Benedict College, man, we take special teams just like offense and defense. Why? Because it's a third. And we've really upgraded. We signed a kicker, place kicker. Uh, he st- he was a starter at Mount Union, which is in Division Three. Like, they've been in the last, Lord knows how many, national championship games. And uh, – his name is Tom Piccarillo. He's very, very accurate. He's a really good kicker. And then we signed a really good punter transfer from Kennesaw State named Charlie Cooper. I mean, he can put it anywhere. He's athletic. He does a great job placing the football because we know it. at the end of the day it comes down to, to a field position battles. And then we signed a really, really good freshman named Lucas Wynn. Man, Lucas Wynn has the a very, very strong leg. And uh, he's from McEachin High School in Atlanta. So he's very, very talented. And we got a I think we have a first-class All-American long snapper in Dylan Geese. So you have to make sure on special teams you have the right guys. But I believe with the personnel that we have on offense and defense and special teams, we got a chance to have a really, really good football team again. Again, in his third season as the head football coach at Benedict is Chennis Berry, who joins us here on the program. The Tigers open the season Saturday, September 2nd at home against the Shaw Bears. Coach Berry, appreciate the time. Good luck to you and the Tigers this season. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you having us, man. And it's a great day to be a Tiger. Appreciate you. Some big things expected in Columbia, South Carolina. You've got it locked to Box to Row. I'm your host, Donald Ware. Let's step aside, take the break, come back. We'll be joined by Raymond Woody Jr., the new head football coach 
at Bethune Cookman. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. Michael B. Jordan. And, and I, I think it's a testament to, you know, what HBCUs mean to people. You know, and, 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 and having that community and culture and shining a light on the universities, you know what I'm saying, in a real way and creating a pipeline from these kids in high school and making them feel good about wanting to land at HBCU. We have high, you know, high, high talent. Um, and often it's gone and shipped out to other places. It's never poured back into the community. So if we can create an environment that's cool and a beacon of light and people want to feel like they want to be here. And so putting it on a national stage is really big. You know, most of the time these kids don't get televised games, you know what I'm saying? So be able to put them on Turner in a real way was really, really important. Um, and, and, and then the brands and then the sponsors, you know what I'm saying? And getting, you know, the NBA, you know, scouts and looks to come in and hopefully like build this thing bigger. The one and only Stephen A. Smith. It's my sincere hope that when my ride ends, I'll get a big hug and a big thank you for what I tried to do for other people when I was at the top. Because that's all you have to lean on at the end of the day, bro. I mean, I, I plan on being successful for years to come, but it ain't gonna last forever. And, you know, when my day comes, when, when it's the end of the road and it's time for somebody else to be in my seat, in my chair, you know, it's my hope that whoever those, that person or those people are, people that knew I cared about them and believed in them to help them get to this place. Hey, Spike Lee. Thank you. I haven't heard that. I mean, I've been on rails all over the nation. Thank you for that question. I'm a third generation Morehouse man. I was taught to speak your truth and that there's very special about being a Morehouse man the same way you feel about your school. The same way we feel all about our respective historic black colleges. That would have been my first choice anyway. And I'm proud to be a Morehouse man. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused. Just really, you know, excited. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years you get to it. <laughs> You know what is good, and, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better, and, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. As we're joined by the one and only Jerry Rice. What do you remember most about those days at Mississippi Valley State? What is going on at Mississippi Valley State University? <laughs> Why are these guys putting up unbelievable numbers? And that brought the awareness to the school, and after that, I got drafted to the San Francisco 49ers. Dave Roberts, manager of the L.A. Dodgers, to be person of color and be the manager of the Dodgers, what does that mean to you? I think the first thing that comes to me is responsibility. With recency and kind of the social, the racial issues that we're having that really come to light, which is, I believe, are good things. I think that it's a responsibility for me to be the first manager of color for the Dodgers. There's not many of us in baseball. To do things the right way, to hopefully give other people of color opportunity. Hopefully it just paves the way. So I think that for me, I, I definitely look at it as responsibility. But something I'm willing to undertake. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me, play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honest. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One, NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to one Salem State University, a uh, black college, something that my city had never seen before, may never see again, and just having a, 
up close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melo. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in the first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey y'all, it is the EST of WWE. The strongest, the fastest, the roughest, the toughest, the quickest, the greatest, the best on Box to Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at BoxToRow.com. That's from the Press Box to Press Row. Real. Relevant. Radio. Welcome back to Box to Row. On the line, we've got the new head football coach at Bethune-Cookman, Raymond Woody Jr., two-time All-MEAC performer during his playing days with the Wildcats, known as one of the best recruiters in the country. He has been at Florida Atlantic, Florida State, and many other places, Western Kentucky, etc., Again, Raymond Woody Jr., the head football coach at Bethune-Cookman, joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Woody, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's great to have you. I just want to kind of get your thoughts here in terms of, you know, your, uh, I guess, a, a week or two maybe uh, into camp, uh, how things are going uh, with respect to fall camp to this point. Well, you know, things are going well. You know, obviously the uh, players had a uh, – Really good offseason, you know, going into the fall, they're understanding how we do things, you know, uh, our philosophy is smart, fast, physical, and aggressive, and they're starting to understand that as well. No doubt. And for you, and one of the things I didn't mention, I mean, you were, you're known as one of the best recruiters in the nation, voted best recruiter in the Pac-12. When you were with Oregon in 2012, you've had other stops, Florida Atlantic, Florida State, where you are known as a great uh, recruiter. Can, can you speak to that? Maybe some of the other stops uh, that you had prior to coming uh, to Bethune-Cookman and, and what that was like. You and you not only recruiting, but you were an assistant head coach. You were defensive coordinator. You worked with special teams. You've done the gamut in terms of coaching and recruiting uh, in college football. Well, you know, um, definitely want to give all – Praise, honor to uh, the man up above. And then also Coach Tiger giving me the opportunity to to grow, you know, as a, a young coach, you know, starting in, you know, 2010 when, you know, I was at West Kentucky and taking over program 0-22 and just seeing how to build a program from ground up and doing things the right way. So, you know, throughout my years, uh, having a chance to be put in a certain uh situations and, and leadership positions that helped prepare me to the man I am today. Obviously played at Bethune Cookman, coached on the high school level, played in the CFL um, as well. Did you always foresee yourself as being a, a, a coach and specifically a head football coach? Well, that's what I wanted to do. Obviously, if I didn't play, you know, a long time and everyone understands that NFL stands for not for long. So having an opportunity to, you know, play the game, go in those doors at the highest level, and and obviously 
you know, injuries always put you in a position to say, hey, you know what? You better be a student athlete first. And and that's that's the thing, you know, when I finished playing, I always said I wanted to be a coach and, you know, just give back some of the things that that I knew and, and, and being able to play for great, you know, mentors, you know, like Larry Little, Jack Simon McLaren, you know, those type of guys who helped me throughout, you know, my, my college career and then also giving me the opportunity to go to that next level, but then showing me how to do it the right way. At your alma mater, um, the the whole Ed Reed situation, what was your take? I don't know how much you followed that prior to um, getting the position. What was your take on that whole uh, situation? Honestly, didn't really uh, follow it too much, you know, having a chance to go on um, to different places, you know, coaching around the country. I mean, I ended up accepting a job under Stan Drayton, you know, in that assistant head coach uh, position, you know, at Temple and, and, and got the call, you know, a couple of days after I accepted that job and said, hey, you know what, would you like to be the head coach at Bethune-Cookman College University, which is my alma mater. And I was, I thought that was outstanding and, you know, hearing different things, you know, I'm, I'm, I was ton of vision, didn't really get in much detail of what happened before I got here and at the end of the day, making no excuses, blaming no one, you know, we just been getting to work. Yeah. What, what, um, how did it come about? The, the, what administration kind of reached out to you? Had, was this something you had been interested in before? I don't believe at least at the collegiate level, you hadn't had any uh, previous head coaching experience. I mean, was it, uh, obviously you're elated, you're back at your, alma mater but you know how did it come about was it something that was on your radar at any point over the time that you had been in coaching yeah you know what I I did uh you know get several alums reaching out and and when the position came available you know I put my name in I was really like I said interested and I always thought I said you know one day man it will be awesome to get a, a head job at my alma mater and I tell you just kept you know doing it the right way Plan and and giving an opportunity of being a head football coach at my alma mater, I thought that was outstanding. And like I said, administration, you know, uh, reached out and said, "Hey, you know what? Would you be interested?" And I I put my name in, and obviously it worked itself out. You know, it, it's it's always situation. They always say, "Hey, you know what? Things may not happen when you want it, but if you trust and pray, it happens on time." And it was right on time for me. I know a lot of people look at it and say, oh, man, you know, you got the job after signing day. It's a lot of work. Well, hell, in life, it's going to be a lot of work. You just got to come in with a plan and execute the plan and things will work itself out. Raymond Woody Jr. is the new head football coach at Bethune-Cookman as he joins us here. How is recruiting? I mean, it's interesting. Maybe Bethune-Cookman, I mean, you've you've been at some power five places. You were at Florida Atlantic. You mentioned being at Western Kentucky, those are all FBS programs. Um, they have more than does uh, Bethune-Cookman. But take us through maybe how you recruit, you know, a, a student athlete to kind of come to uh, to kind of come to Bethune-Cookman. It's sort of your recruiting philosophies. Honesty, you know, honesty. You have to be honest. Uh, and I've had an opportunity to circulate around the state and I, I promised the university that we will recruit the wildcat territory and we're going to start out with high school student athletes and and they're going to be from around this area and I, I really believe you got to 
build it the right way. And, and that's the only way. And, um, you know, we say we good coaches. Well, good coaches develop talent. And a lot of times you may not get the four and five star, but we want smart, fast, tough, physical football players. And we got to be good evaluators because with the NIL name, image, and likeness, you know, a lot of these players, they want something, but they don't want to do anything. So we tell the guys, you know, in order to come here, I mean, you're going to have to love the game. You can't just like the game. You got to love it. And we have to go out and be honest. I mean, I think that's the key. And, and also relationships, you know, throughout, you know, my time since 20, I, I shouldn't say 2010. I should say like in 1996, when I finished uh, CFL, I went back to my alma mater and started coaching high school and, and be, being able to have success in high school, developing relationships, knowing the coaches around the state, knowing that, hey, you know what? That coach remembered me. We always had a good relationship. We always trusted each other. And, and those relationships are, I tell you, they're priceless. And I, I really feel like it's all about relationships. And then, you know, if you are honest, then those high school coaches, those parents, you know, they feel real comfortable giving you an opportunity to mentor their their child. Raymond Woody Jr., the head football coach, new uh, head fo football coach, if you will, at Bethune Cookman, joining us here on the program. Let's talk some personnel. Is there? Do you have a quarterback battle going on? If so, can you talk about who those quarterbacks are and uh, what each of them brings to the table? Well, you know, with um, you know, finishing up with the spring, you know, Walt Simmons, you know, obviously, you know, his dad, he and I played together, you know, and he's a transfer, you know, from East Carolina, you know, he's a dual threat guy, you know, he had a, a you know, a good spring, uh, obviously, with uh, some of the guys who left, we, we didn't have a lot, you know, of, uh, personnel in certain positions so I ended up bringing in you know a couple more guys you know to compete you know Talik Bietha from uh Delaware State you know he's here and then Luke Rucker you know from uh you know New, New Jersey he's here as well you know coming from the junior college uh those guys are, are are competing and Cam Ransom you know who transferred from McNeese who started out at Georgia Southern you know, you got a fourth guy, and then, you know, I have Ponder, who was here as well, coming in, you know, as a um, true freshman, you know, from the uh, prep school, you know. So we have quarterbacks all over the place, but we have not found that guy who so separated himself from the next, you know. So this fall camp is going to be huge, you know. It's going to be huge for this whole program, finding a guy, you know, who – the rest of the team will follow, you know, so it's exciting uh, this fall, you know, having a uh, camp getting graded each play. Those guys understand every day you got to come in and try to take somebody's spot and they're going to know clearly, you know, where they're at, you know, and I think that's the key, you know, not just quarterback position, but now we're talking about quarterbacks. Those guys, they're going to see percentages, the plus and the minuses and the why, you know, why they got plus, why they got the minus. And then, See if they can lead this football team. A couple of more thoughts with Raymond Woody Jr., the head football coach at Bethune Cookman. I mean, you've got you know a couple of guys holdovers. Um, in 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 particular, Omari Hill Robinson. He's a preseason All American. Was a SWAC All First Team uh, All SWAC First Team 
on last year, defensive back, had four interceptions, um, a bunch of passes, uh, pass breakups. W- what do you have in Omari Hill Robinson? Well, Omari is he, – he's a guy – that does not just come to work, but he goes to work, you know, and he wants to be the best above the rest, uh, you know, just training his eye discipline. And, you know, we've been working on his long speed, you know, uh, I, I'm always involved in just not just coaching guys, but talking to guys on a professional level and some of my colleagues, you know, about what they see when they watch film of him, you know, and I think iron sharpens iron. I mean, he's a guy that, he knows uh, instinct-wise, I mean, we can't teach that, but, you know, just being technical and fundamentally sound and not always jumping routes, you know, not getting beat on a double move, and that's just having good eye discipline, and that's what he's been working on uh, throughout. Um, any guys that you can name that have you mentioned nobody necessarily has separated themselves in terms of a quarterback, but any guys that you can name that have really stood out in this fall camp? Well, I tell you, Eddie Walls, you know, he's a um a defensive end, you know, from Fort Myers a sophomore, he's about six four, you know, two hundred and forty pounds. He he gained about nine pounds from the spring to the summer. I mean, he's he's been dominant up front, you know. I, I could say steady, we call him steady Eddie. I mean, every day he's gonna grade out, he's gonna give effort, effort, effort. And uh he's making plays. I mean, it's it's tough to block him. And then last thought, you've got a son, uh, the third, that's playing at Cal. Talk about, I mean, I know you've got to be, you know, super elated about that and, you know, speak about um, about him uh, again playing at Cal. Well, you know, the most important for me is, like here, you know, our motto, we build student athletes at BCU and had an opportunity to see him graduate, you know, from Cal Berkeley, you know, uh, this past December. And now he's going into his, his senior year, you know, and, uh, it's, I'm excited for him. And obviously I catch his games on the tube. Haven't had an opportunity, you know, to go out to Cal, but, uh, you know, really proud of him and hopefully he'll stay healthy. I mean, he's having a really good fall camp or what he sends me or, or call and tell me and, uh, really excited for him. Raymond Woody Jr., first season as the head football coach at Bethune-Cookman, joins us here on the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. The Wildcats open the season on the road Saturday, September the 2nd at Memphis. And, of course, Coach Woody, we appreciate the time. Good luck to you and the Wildcats this season. Thank you, and uh, we'll be ready. Bethune-Cookman, new head football coach Raymond Woody Jr., more of Box to Row on the other side. The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. All Weaver Street Markets. Harris Teeter. Food Lion. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, and Barica Soul. It's Donald Ware. 
From the press box to press row. Welcome back to Box to Row. Hit us up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O. R-O-W in the last segment. Joined by Raymond Woody, the head football coach at Bethune-Cookman in the previous segment. Joined by Chennis Berry, the head football coach at Benedict. Let's talk college realignment. And I've got to be honest with you, in, in, in a couple of days ago, preparing to talk college realignment and talk as, as intelligently as I possibly can in this segment, I've really had to look to see which school is in which conference. And I'm not just talking about what has happened more recently with the, the mass exodus of uh, Big 12 schools, uh, including Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado to the Big 12. We already know that beginning next season, UCLA, USC going to be in the Big 10. We also know that Oregon and Washington are leaving the Pac-12 to also go now to the Big 10. And I remember when it used to be called the Pac-10. But currently, I mean, when you look forward after or after this season, I mean, currently, it's the Pac-4, okay, where you have Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. I think Pac-12, um, the Pac-12 as a conference, I think got a little bit greedy going back, uh, what, a year ago or a couple of years ago when it had an opportunity for a TV deal and ultimately decided not to go with it. And I think that is what has led to this mass exodus because you can see, you know, the schools that I mentioned, um, they've gone on to conferences, meaning the Big 12 and the Big 10, uh, particularly the Big 10, that has an outstanding TV package in the pay in terms of each school per year is very, very high. Listen, college athletics has changed forever. I think with realignment, now you've had some, I mean, I wouldn't call it realignment, but prior to like the 2010s you had where schools may go from one conference uh, to another, maybe not as significant. I think one of the big significant moves and one of the bigger moves when you talk about conference realignment started with the ACC and really the ACC going after Virginia tech, going after Boston college and going after Miami to bolster its football. And we've seen, um, I don't, what was that? Maybe the, maybe the middle part of the two thousands and we've seen, I mean, that hasn't worked out well for the ACC at all. As a matter of fact, it's brought down those programs, the aforementioned three programs who were really, really good in football. And now the ACC is in a bit of a pickle as well. Florida State making a lot of noise in terms of uh, it, the money that it receives because Florida State feels like it's, in in some respects, especially from a football perspective, carrying the conference. And when you look at the uh, the the uh, uh, the support for the football program. And I think I, I think it has, you know, a good argument there. I mean, I think a lot of the, the again, when the ACC did this, it was trying to bolster football. Basketball was already top notch. But now, I mean, basketball is not even top notch uh, across the country either uh, from top to bottom. When you're talking about college men's college basketball, um, you know, again, I, I, yeah, it's hard to keep up. You need a scorecard. But I think 
you know, the question is, what's the future of the Pac-12? Now, the Pac-12 has a history, but the problem is the history is in name only of Pac-10 or now Pac-12 because you only have Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State that are remaining, and those schools aren't necessarily sexy. And I remember, you know, not that long, I mean, when Texas, when it was announced that uh, that uh, that Texas and Oklahoma were both leaving the Big 12, that the Big 12 would fall apart, but we see the Big 12 added some schools and has added some more schools and is just fine now. So I don't, the Big 12 is not going anywhere anytime soon. I think the Pac-12 is, is, is in some real trouble. I, want, I wanted to say that the Pac-12 may not be in trouble because, again, we're prisoners of the moment. We said the Big 12 was done for, and the Big 12 has rebounded. This is the problem with the Pac-12. You could say, okay, where can the, back, the Pac-12 now go in terms of trying to find some schools of its own. Could it go to Conference USA? Well, I think the problem with going to a Conference USA is I don't think any of those schools will really help to bolster a Pac-12 that is on life support. Now, it'd be different if, you know, maybe Arizona, Arizona State hadn't left, Utah was still there. Then you could add a couple of more teams, allow for these new teams to kind of get their weight up if you will, and then continue on as a conference. But basically, the Pac-12 is going to have to start from scratch. So, I mean, these are the teams in Conference USA. Florida International, Jacksonville State, Liberty, Louisiana Tech, Middle Tennessee State, New Mexico State, Sam Houston State, UTEP, and Western Kentucky. Well, I mean, a couple of these schools are newbies, out of the FCS, more specifically Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State, they're more newbies, so they're just getting into being in the FBS and the other schools. I mean, I don't know, maybe New Mexico State. I don't know. Maybe a, a, a UTEP. But, you know, UTEP from a football standpoint has only been in three conferences in all of its years in athletics. So, I mean, I, I don't really see any of those schools being – Super sexy. Now, let's go to the Mountain West Conference where you have Air Force, Boise State, Cal State, Colorado State, UNLV. Uh, You've got Nevada, Reno. Um, You've also got San Diego State. You've got um, San Jose State, Utah State, and Wyoming. Well, I mean, a couple of those schools may be enticing, I mean, you can forget about the the Air Force, like the United States government is not getting into conference realignment. In other words, one of its schools would realign like like you can forget about Air Force. They're not getting in the realignment business is what I'm saying. The United States government's not getting in that business. Boise State. Well, Boise State has had a nice track record, especially in the BCS era. Right. So maybe that's sort of enticing to a Pac-12. And I'm not as familiar with Colorado's, Colorado State. Uh, the University of Colorado has just made its move to the Big 12. I I, I, I thought Colorado was in the Pac-12. I, I, you know, again, hard to keep up. UNLV is a, is a name brand. 
even going back to its basketball days, but football wise, I don't I don't know that UNLV is that great, right? New Mexico, big school, um, you know, seems to have some decent football programs. Could it? You know, I mean, I think if it went to a Pac-12, it could compete. But again, is that sexy enough? Is it, you know, because again, the Pac-12 um, also tried to, to get a, uh, a late deal um, with Apple TV that did not come to fruition. I also, in reading, maybe even the, maybe even the Pac-12 or a couple of, you know, th- there was uh, basically with Arizona, Utah leaving, a lot of that had to do with, people in the ears at those particular schools saying don't even let's not even vote for a deal that ESPN and maybe Fox and some others had put forward for a TV deal. And, you know, to have a, when you get to the FBS level, you know, you've got to have a good TV deal. And so the PAC 12 with only four schools and again, trying to figure out, okay, who could, who could you get now? You know, I, I, I thought about a BYU, but BYU's got a good conference affiliation now. Um, you look at um, some of the other um, FBS, you know, who sort of makes sense. I don't know. I think I think American, the AAC, has got a solid conference. Like, like it seems to me with the AAC that the schools aren't going any, anywhere. Like we talked about for years where – you know, the last couple of years, even in the MEAC, where the MEAC said, we stand together as these eight institutions, we're not going anywhere. And it seems the same with the American Conference. The the other thing about the American Conference is it's darn competitive. I mean, it could now be your, your, your fifth school, your fifth conference amongst the Power Fives. And we saw where Cincinnati um, was in the um, FBS playoffs or the um, the the the, the the championship playoffs, um, CFP, college football playoffs is what I'm trying to say. So I don't think any of the schools from America, the American conference, man, I mean, if I'm one of those four schools, I'm not a prisoner of the moment, okay, generally speaking. However, it looks very, very bleak for the Pac-12 as it as it stands right now. I don't think Conference USA is ready. Um, in terms of those schools, the Mid-American Conference, uh, the MAC is solid. They've got a good TV uh, uh, a deal with ESPN. Their games come on what I think is Tuesday or Wednesday night. They've got college football on lock on one of those nights, and it's a conference that has really started to come up and gain some momentum over the last couple of years. So, you know, in the Sun Belt, just not ready to be part of the Pac-12 Right now, either plus the, the the Sun Belt, I think, is a very strong conference and actually a conference that's on the come up. You look at a lot of the wins that the Sun Belt had on last year. So uh, is the is it over for the Pac-12? Not going to quite say it's over, but I'm going to tell you what, uh, they're going to have to act fast or there will be no Pac-12 in those uh, because neither four of those schools are very sexy other than they've been former Pac-12 members and they may be sexy to another conference. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Raymond Woody. Thank you to Chennis Berry for joining us today here on Box to Row. For more information on the program, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support 
Yo, Box Toro is produced by DW Communications. I reminisce for a spell, or shall I say think back yeah. 22 years ago to keep it on track The birth of a child on the 8th of October A toast, when my granddaddy came sober Count all the fingers and the toes, now I suppose you hope the little black boy grows